0: Here's a message for parents on God's promises for children and wisdom to overcome challenges. Uh, Good morning church, it's so good to be here. So as part of our series that we are doing this month, we are going to be talking about parenting. Um, A couple of months ago, as um, I had finished my day and was bogged down with a lot of things of tiffin boxes and homework and um, silly petty squabbles of little children, you know, and also playing judge and referee and enemy at the same time. You know, I get to put my little girl to sleep and I give her a big sigh and I go, and she says, Amma, why do you sigh so much? Is it because you have two children to take care of? I want to say that I uh, come to you to give you this message, not as someone who has mastered parenting and I'm looking back, But someone who's on the go, who's learning, and I don't bring this message to you, but I bring this message to us as parents. And I just pray that uh, God will use me to speak certain truths about parenting. Even as we start our study on parenting, I think one of the first things that we need to really look at is what is a biblical perspective of children? Now what we need to do is have a heart check. You just got to check and figure out what is it that you think children are. You know, I read through this article and there came a lot of uh, uh, ways that people think uh, children are. You know, some of the things that I read was, they are are people who curb your freedom. They are little people who cut short your career ambitions. Okay. They are uh, big time responsibilities. They are financial liabilities. You know, they take charge over your life. And some of them who had very little children, they're little inconveniences. You know, when you look into the word of God, the word of God, God is so big on kids. You know, you look at Psalm 123 verse seven, he'll tell you how big he is on kids. You know what it says? It says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So how does God see children? He doesn't see children as a burden, but he sees children as a blessing he sees them as an inheritance. He sees them as a reward. And, you know, in some translation it says, he's, he sees them as a gift. He says, children are a gift from the Lord. How many of you, when you get a gift from your spouse or, or a friend, you know, you just shelve it into, uh, into your cupboard. No, you cherish it. You make sure that, you know, that's as close to your heart. That's how God expects us to see children. God also expects us to see children as a stewardship that is entrusted to us as parents. So we need to be stewards of something. Of what? Of making sure that we, uh, we give them a legacy. We uphold a godly legacy. So our children are our godly legacy. When God asked us to raise children, he didn't give us just children. He asked us to raise godly children. So as parents, we need to view our children as people who are going to talk about the Lord for generations and generations to come. That's how we view children. Let's look at the way that we should need to see ourselves. What is the biblical perspective of parents? Now, as parents, you know, we often think the worldview of responsible parenting is seeing that our kids have a good education, that they make sure that they go to good schools, they have a job, and they are successful, and they are married. That's what we think, that's what the world thinks responsible parenting is. But you know what? God's heart does not say that. God's heart says it is important that our children are close to God's heart. There are two things that God expects of, of us as parents. One is that we teach them the truth of God's word. We teach them the truth of God's word. When you look into the word of God, Deuteronomy 6 verses 7 to 9, I'll just read them out to you. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So what does God say? Along with us parents being a godly example and loving God, we have to teach our children his word. And it's not something that you just keep for Sunday morning or for nighttime nine o'clock prayers. God says it has to be done every time. In the morning, in the night, when you're in the car, when you're in the ice cream parlor, in a football game, whatever, we need to be teaching our children the word of God. That is God's view of us. What does he expect of us? The second thing, God expects that we bring up our children in the nurturance and admonition of the Lord. Now, that is our primary responsibility. Now, when you look at that verse, Paul says two things. He negatively says, especially to fathers, do not exasperate your children and positively he says bring them up in the admonition of the Lord I know pastor, pastor had spoken about some of this but yet I do want to repeat, my, repeat it about how do we exasperate children often we sometimes exasperate them by being very overprotective about them we just don't give them their space we have to be in their lives at all times that is exasperation another thing that we do is we play favoritism if you have two kids you know, you just tend to choose to be more nice to the younger one or you tend to be more nice to the one who is more uh, pleasing or the one who is more obedient. But God says that is exasperation. We, we cannot be playing favorites. The other things that we do is we sometimes neglect them. We just don't take care about what they think of or what they are in. And for us as parents who are teens, we just fail to treat our teens as adults. We we still treat our teens as they are little, but that is a form of exasperation. So we we, we are wont not to exasperate our children, but instead bring them up in the nourishment of the Lord. What does that mean? I'm sure some of you are plant lovers here who love plants. How do you take care of a plant? Do you just let it out in the sun and say, okay, grow as you can and give me the fruit tomorrow? No, you would water it, You would put manure on it. You would make sure that you prune it. You would do as much as you can to nurture your child. And that's what God expects of us. To nourish them, to nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. What does admonition of the Lord mean? To cultivate in them things that are godly. We will look into further things um, about how we can cultivate things that are godly. I like what Albert Barnes says. If a man does not teach his children truth, Others will teach him error. So if you as a parent do not take up your godly responsibility of teaching your child about God's word and bringing them up in the nourishment of the Lord, there will be someone who is waiting to pounce on your child to teach them error. So parents, buck up. Okay? This is what God wants of us. We are going to next look at certain premises for children parenting. I am sure some of us have constructed homes. And when we construct homes, we kind of put pillars as our foundation so that our home is strong. I'd like to bring before you four pillars of Christian parenting. One of the first, the first and most important thing is knowing God and having a personal relationship with him. Now, this is absolutely crucial to our relationship with our children. You know, the starting point of parents is not children. The starting point of parents is us as parents. And if we need to bring our children up in the Lord, we have to be in the Lord ourselves first and foremost. The second thing is trusting in the covenant-keeping character of God. Some of you probably have been very discouraged lately when you look at your children. You know, you look at your children and say, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken the covenant over them. I've spoken these promises over them. But you know, where did I mess up? Why are my children turning out to be like this? Let's just look at a couple of stories. Let's give a fictitious name of a dad and mom A. Now these are parents who, who um, uh, did not go to church as young people, who did not know the Lord, but they did get to know the Lord once they were married. And what happened is they wanted to make a change in their family to make sure that they bring up the, their kids in the Lord. But soon they ask questions, I've not had a parental role model who can talk about Christ. You know, am I able to do this? Will I, will I be successful in bringing my children in the Lord? That's the first set of parents. Let's look at another set of parents. Dad and Mom Z. Many of us like the ones in church. You know, the tongue-talking, spirit-filled parents, you know, who know everything about parents, who, um, you know, make sure that the children learn the word of God from, back to bo- from top to front. And one day, the son comes up and says, Mom, I'm in love with someone who's not of the Christian faith. And you have that question, where did I go wrong? What did I do? You know, have, have I not given the values of, of God to them? But let me, give you, let me give you an encouragement for parents such as those in, and, and, and us as parents. Sorry, we find that in Genesis 15. I'd encourage you to go back home and read this, but I'll just kind of give you a gist of it. What it describes is the establishment of, of a covenant that God gives to Abraham. One day, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. So God turns to, uh, Abraham turns to God and says, God, what reward? I don't even have a son. So God says, I'm going to give you a son and I promise that I will give you a son. So Abraham, you know, really happy. He says, God, but give me a sign. I need to know that you really mean what you say. So God says, okay, I want to establish a covenant with you. Go in and get animals, cut them into half and place it uh, beside each other. I'm sure most of you know that this was the way the covenant was made at those times. Two parties, they will cut animals, keep it on either side, they will walk through that and that's how they made the covenant. So Abraham is actually waiting for God to come. Does God come? No. What comes instead? Vultures. Vultures are there to prey on, on the carcasses. And after that, David—sorry, fall, um, Abraham falls into a very deep sleep. And when he's asleep, God comes. He comes to establish his covenant through a smoking furnace and a burning pot, a burning pot which represents his presence. And God makes that covenant. So what, is, what, what do we need to believe in? That no matter who we are, no matter what kind of failures we show in as parents, God is true to his covenant. He will establish and he will fulfill his promises for our children. Amen. Amen. What is the third point? The third point is God is our perfect father. Uh, I don't know of how many of us have come with homes who've had good parental role models. You know, if we've had good parental role models, we are blessed. But there may be some of us sitting here who did not have good parental role models. Who may not have modeled Christ in their parenting. Um, So what do we do? Where do we have an understanding about, about how to parent our children. Let me give you a story. You know, the story is told about a woman who brings a leg of ham for the Christmas dinner. Uh, and uh, as she's preparing the ham, she cuts either side of the ham and she puts it into the oven. So her husband asks, Darling, why did you cut the ham? Why did you cut the sides of the ham and put it into the oven? So the wife says, uh, You know, I don't know. I've just seen mom do it every time. So that's why I do it. So in the evening when mom comes, son-in-law asks, mom, why do you cut the ham on either sides and put it into the oven? So mom thinks and says, well, I don't know, grandmom always used to do it that way. So when they get to see grandmom after a month, they ask grandmom, grandmom, why do you do that? So grandmom says, well, uh, you know, when the children were little, we had such a small oven that we really couldn't fit the entire ham in and we had to cut the sides of it to push it in. Sometimes we are like that as parents. We... Just do things that our parents did or things that seminars, parenting seminars have said. And we just parent according to what we have seen without logic and reason. But where do we learn about parenting? We learn about parenting from God's word. Because God says he is the ultimate father. If you remember, that's what pastor said last time. He is the ultimate father. He is the perfect parent. And when we understand that, you know, we have a simple formula for us to parent. As God parents us, we parent our children. As God parents me, as God disciplines me, I discipline my children. So we have an absolute model of parenting right in the word of God. And I just urge you parents, you know, look to the word of God to figure out how is it that you can deal with your children. The fourth pillar that we have for Christian parenting is the marriage relationship. Now, the greatest influence that you are going to have in parenting will not come in your role as a father and mother, but in the role of a husband and a wife. Now, your children um, need to know that there is already an established social structure at home before they come in. A lot of us parents think that, that uh, the husband and wife is a preliminary relationship to, to child rearing, but it is not. God intended that the the husband and the wife should be the priority relationship. You know, if you look back into Genesis, when God uh, God put man and woman into the kingdom, into the garden of Eden, he didn't put children in there. He just put man and woman. And he later added children into their lives, just an expansion of God's goodness. So my, my plea to you as parents is that, You need to look at each other to build your relationship as a husband and a wife because your children need to know dad loves mom, mom loves dad and that's what they're going to be secure in. The quality of your relationship between each other definitely impacts the quality of your relationship with your children. So make sure that your children know that the husband is the head of the family and the wife is the heart of the family. Amen. So let's, let's work on making sure that we live through these, these principles. Something that is very nice about the Bible is the way that parents have spoken blessing into children. If you look through Genesis, you will see that the power of blessing, how all our patriarchs bless their children. Actually, even in the Jewish culture now, you know, fathers call their children, place their hands on them and send them with a blessing. You know, i Put in a couple of examples, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all blessed their children. In fact, I stand testimony to that because my dad, right from the time I remember, any time I used to go for an exam, exam, a sports competition before I got married, before I bought a bike. In fact, even this morning before I came to preach, he prayed for me, he blessed me. And you know, absolutely that principle is so clear. That God wants us to use that privilege and power to speak blessing over our children. So as parents, do make a conscious effort to bring your children, hold them, put your hand over them and speak blessing. Because when you speak blessing, what are you doing? You advance life, you advance health, you advance growth, joy and self-confidence. So let's use that. I mean, that's something that's as simple to do. You know, they may be playing, they may be studying. Put your hand and say, I bless you in the name of Jesus. And we're going to look at certain ways that you can. Now you may ask me, what do I bless them with? Let me tell you, we as Christians have the most powerful tool to bless our children with, the word of God. What What does it say about the word of God? It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So what you say is what brings life to our children. And what do you say? Just use the word of God. Because what is in John it says, the words I speak are spirit and life. So when you speak the word of God on your children, you're speaking life. You're you're speaking nourishment. So I encourage you, speak. Speak your blessing over your children. Because you know that what goes from your mouth will never come back void. So when you speak uh, speak blessing, it's not going to come back void. They will be blessed in the name of Jesus. I'd like you to take, take you through some areas where, we, where you can nurture and speak blessing to your, ch- to your children. Let's look at the first one. It is for their salvation. Now in the world that we live in, we know that we are very focused on making sure our kids have good grades, they go to good schools, you know, they have healthy bodies, they have a good character. We are very focused on that. But I think far beyond all that is you know, believing and hoping that they will be saved and, and, and they, they will reach salvation. So how can you nurture this? One of the first ways that you can nurture this is um, knowing that it is your responsibility to expose your child to Christ. It is your responsibility to expose your child to Christ. When you come here Sunday morning and when you leave your children in children's church, You know how much percentage of of time that the children's church has with them? Just 1%. And when they go to school, there's another 15%. You know who has the chunk? We have the chunk. We have them 83% of the time. And so much is our responsibility to be able to sow the word of God in their lives. You know, some of you may tell me, Jean, but salvation is God's work. And I can't do anything to accomplish it for my children. That's true. I can't do anything to accomplish uh, salvation for my children. But because that is so, how do we see our role? Do we see our role as passive, pensive, laid back, let, them, let the Lord win over them as and when? No, not at all. We have to take an active role, a hopeful role, an expectant role to sow God in them. Now how... It's important for us to know how we do that. We need to make sure that we model that for them. Your children imitate you. I don't know if if you remember your children as babies or as little little kids. My son used to wear Bini's shoes and walk around. My daughter wears my dupatta and walks around. They are imitating me. And it's not just in the clothes I wear, but they are imitating me in the life that I live. So because they are so prone to imitation, I got to be absolutely careful. I got to be absolutely responsible to bring them to the Lord. How do you do that? You do that by being enthusiastic about your life in Christ. Now, if you come to church and if you do things in church with the drudgery and the fact that it's so boring, oh God, it's Sunday morning, how am I going to get up and go, ah, it's still one o'clock. Your children are going to pick that up. Okay? If you grumble about how you serve in church, if you grumble about being in the setup team or grumble about getting up early in the worship team, no, your children are going to see that. But joyfully, if you are to take up those responsibilities knowing that God has put you there, your children will absorb that and they say, yes, I want to be like my dad, I want to be like my mom who is so passionate about God. What's the third thing we do? We need to demonstrate the special place that the Bible has in our, in our life. How many of us take time as parents to make sure that we spend time with the Lord in the morning? You know, our kids are watching. Let me urge you parents, if there's anything that you miss, even if you don't go for your job that day, make sure that you read your Bible, make sure that you sit in the the feet of the Lord. Because your children are looking and they want to see how much you live your life. So, you know, don't keep your Bible as a household article somewhere and dust it up Sunday morning but make sure that it is a part of you every day of your life. Talk about what you are learning in the Bible. Talk about the decisions that you are making. Say, you know, I have something to do. I need to, uh, the, my boss has asked me to, you know, do something that's not right. Open your Bible, find your answer. Tell your child where you found your answer. Let your child know that the Bible is the most important part in, in your life. Now, apart from nurturing, it is important that we speak blessing into the lives of our children. Like I said, there is power in blessing. Now, how do we do that? Now, because salvation is God's work, it should motivate us to speak blessing and pray a hundredfold more. Let's see what the word of God says in Ezekiel 11:19. 19. He says, I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, that they shall be my people and I will be their God. So when you speak the promises of God, remember that you are asking God to give them a gift that will last forever. A gift that will last forever. During special occasions at home, I run my children through uh, treasure hunts where I place gifts in different places and they kind of, Find it out. You know, it's such a joy to see the, the, the excitement in them when they get one and they squeal with glee and say, I got this. Oh, it's so lovely. It's so nice. But how long does it last? Till the afternoon. And after that, it's done with. You know, I can't wait for the time when my children will have everlasting joy when they receive God as their personal savior. I know that's not going to be momentary or till the afternoon. It's going to be there for a lifetime. And I just can't wait to know that my children will get a gift that, that, that will, will last forever. So as we pray, let's remember that it's something that God gives as a gift to them and something that will make them absolutely joyful. When we pray for our children's blessing, we should also believe that it is in accordance with God's will. God wants our children to be saved. But then we need to be hopeful to pray for that as it is said in 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God wants our children to be saved. Sometimes there is a challenge. You know, as little children, it's easy that they love the word of God. You put a colorful Bible, you know, they will read with you. They will learn memory verses. They will sing, I'm in that phase and I'm absolutely loving it. But I know there will come a time when they may really not like what I'm doing. Now, does that mean we should be discouraged? There may be some of us parents where our children are living in absolute darkness. Should we be discouraged? Absolutely not. You know what the word of God says? Look up in Jeremiah 31, 16 to 17. I'm just going to specify on verse 17. It says, there is hope in your future, says the Lord that your children shall come back to their own border. Amen. And, and it's, it's, such, it's such a relief because I don't have to worry whether my children will come up or not because it is a promise. I don't have to plead and beg God and say, God, let them come to you. No, because it's a promise and I know it will come one day if I am faithful in speaking that blessing and praying to God about it. Amen. Amen. Let's look at the second area where we can nurture and speak blessing. It is for the love of God's word. One of the best things that we can do is to teach our children God's word. And how do we do that? One of the ways is to teach them to apply scripture in their everyday lives. You know, if you look in the Bible, the, the word of God is likened to a lamp. Where it show, gives you direction. And our children definitely need that lamp. They need need to enlighten their path. So much more our teens, you know, as they grow, there are a lot of pressures, a lot of teen pressure. There's a lot of work pressure. And where do they get their direction from other than the word of God? So let's make sure that we teach them. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, I'm just giving you some examples from my life, not to brag, but just to completely make an illustration. About a year ago, when The kids and I were going shopping. We just noticed a couple of young men standing around and smoking. Jeremy was around six and a half that time and he was very curious to know what that entire thing was. So he spoke to me. He said, well, what are they doing? Why are they doing that? Why are those swirls coming up like that? So he, he had many, many questions. And I kind of found it timely at that point of time to just not educate him about smoking, but also to take it one step further and say, you know, Jeremy, you know what God says in his word? God says that we are to, our bodies are a temple of God. So it means that we do not abuse it and do things that's going to harm it. So then, you know, I had to take that opportunity to teach him that scripture in something that happens on an everyday. Another example is my little girl who goes to Montessori. After a month that she went in, she found that there were a lot of trinklets that were there that she could quietly put into her bag without her teacher's permission. So when she comes back home, there were crayons and all sorts of things. And one day I saw that and I said, no, no, what is this in your bag, darling? She said, Amma, these are crayons that I got from school. I said, did you ask your teacher's permission for it? She said, no, I just took it. I said, dear, you know, when we take things without permission, it's like stealing. And this is what God's word says, we should not be stealing now it's easy for us to just think of that as a petty four year olds doing no but i think that is far more important for us to be able to teach our children scriptures on an everyday basis another example is very clear in the bible about jesus you know when when he was tempted by satan he did not use his physical ability or his intellectual ability what did he do he said it is it is written he says, it is written. He said it three times. It is written, it is written, it is written. So let's just pray that, that, that our children's heart is like good soil, where they hear the word, where they retain it, and it produces a, a godly character. And let's just pray that the worries of the world does not choke that from them. So it is our responsibility to make sure that we teach them to apply scripture. We also must take the responsibility to Be conscientious at every opportunity to teach them something. I know a lot of us are teen parents here. And you'll probably be watching TV together. Yes? And what do you generally do when you see some kind of objectionable content on the TV? Do you quickly switch the channel and pretend as if nothing happened? Or when you're going on MG Road you see this big billboard which has a picture you don't want to look at. Do you take a U-turn and quickly turn away? What is it that we do? How can we make that as a teachable moment? Talk about it. Say, son, you know what we saw there right now. What what are your views about it? What do you think about it? What does that give you an opportunity to do? It gives you an opportunity to tell them what God's word is and the blessing that will follow when we obey God's word. Your children need to understand that you are willing to teach them things from the word of God. So even as we nurture them, Let's be keen to speak our blessing to them. As the word of God says, so let's pray. Psalm 119.11 says, God, I just pray that your word will be hidden in their hearts so that they might not sin against you and pray that they will desire God's word more than gold and will love it more than, more than honey. That's what our prayer needs to be. Let's look at the third one for wisdom and discernment. Now some of us may have questions about the choices our child makes. You know, you worry because sometimes I tend to look back I say, God, when Jeremy and Nora come to become 18 and 21, you know, will they know who they have to marry? Will they know uh, who may just manipulate them into a relationship? Will they know how to, how to say no to drugs? Will they know anything? And these are often questions that we have. How are they going to make their decisions? When I look at those little ones, I say, God, how are they going to make their decisions? You know, the fact is that our children's well-being depends on the decisions that they make. And we are parents who have to help them to, to be able to discern. You know, often parents, I see, avoid addressing certain topics with our children. Why? Because either we are very uncomfortable with it you know, or we have the old thinking that if I talk to them about it, they may just go into the vials of it. For example, sexuality. You know, if I talk to my children about sex, they may just want to go try it out. But I think the contrary is true. Your children need to be empowered, need to know what things are so that they are discerned with the right and wrong. So, So if you do not roll up your sleeve and you do not do that teaching with them, they're going to go out and find it out on books or on the internet or they're going to find it out from friends. And that's going to be absolute error. So we need to make sure that we educate, empower our children so that they will be able to discern what is right, discern what is wrong. So my urge to you, especially for those of us who are parents of teens, You know, it may be uncomfortable for you, but then ask God for his mercy and say, God, I want to talk about this with my teen and get to doing so because you are building a lifetime of wisdom and discernment for your child. How do we nurture this wisdom and discernment? One of the main things we need to do is we need to be active. We need to be a part of their lives. When they come back from school, something that I'm guilty of, I generally ask, Jeremy, what did you do for Hindi today? Because that's the biggest thing on my heart. No. I think we should just sit down and say, How was your day? What did you do? So he, you know, sometimes he comes in and tells me about issues that he has with friends, just hearing them out and hearing how what kind of wisdom they used in dealing with their problems. Be active. Second is you create an environment for discussions at home. Last year, Jeremy came home saying that some of his friends had used a four-letter word. And I heard him and I and you know, it would it probably have been very easy to say, Jeremy, that's not what we use in our home. Let's not talk about this. You know, that does not not what God likes. But then I figured, you know, I'm not giving my son an opportunity to do anything. So then I had to create an environment and say, okay, Jeremy, tell me, what do you think it is? What, what do your friends say it is? So be open when your children come in to discuss things with you. Your teen may come in and say, mom, I have a crush on ABC. You go, <laughs> No way. How could you do that? Never enter my home. No. Create an environment where they can come to you and talk about anything because that's where you're going to help them discern. That's where you're going to give them the best of wisdom. What's the third point? Allow your children to participate in decisions at home. Very often I've seen we as parents, you know, if you want to make a decision, dad and mom will get into the room, close the door, have a big one hour of conversation and come out and say, this is what we have decided and we shall all abide by it. I don't think that is such a good practice because where do your children know how to make decisions in life? They get to know by seeing you. So if there are decisions that you need to make, do your preliminary talk the previous night but come back into the dining table, talk to your children, say, you know, this is the kind of problem we have and mom and I and well, the dad and I or mom and I were kind of thinking of what we should do. Do you have any suggestions? Open it out to them. See what they have to tell you. You know, because you never know the counsel of children. God... You know, God can speak. God does not give a junior Holy Spirit to our children. He gives the same to us and them. So God can speak through them. Okay, so open, open out your home. Make sure that your children can help you in decisions. Role play. Play pretend games. You know, okay, I'm your friend and you are you. Suppose I'm a friend who's giving you a smoke. It's say, come on, why don't you have it? Play pretend games. Figure out what your child can do because that's how your child gets to learn. How, how they can make decisions. Next, discuss books with your children, the things that they are reading. You know, there are a lot of characters in books that have very questionable uh, personalities. And then I don't want my children to figure out that that is a good, good way to deal with things. I would rather talk to them about it and, and you know, give them a discernment on who they should be believing. And lastly, begin to talk to your children about attitudes of sex, drugs and alcohol. This is not reserved for somebody else. This is for us to do. And I'm very serious about that because I think if we don't do it as parents, we are failing in our jobs to help our children discern right from wrong. Apart from that, how do we speak a blessing? We need to make sure that we speak the word of God in their lives, that they have wisdom and discernment. You know, I've put into verses where we could ask God that they will ask of God and they will be given that wisdom. I just, want that, I just want to repeat one verse, Isaiah 30, 21. It says, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. So ask God and say, God, I just bless my child with your voice that they will discern your voice. They will know whether to turn to the left or to the right. And you know, when you pray for wisdom, there is a lot of bonanza with it. If you've been to Big Bazaar, you see, you know, buy one, get five free. You know, when you, when you ask God for wisdom, there are five free things that you get with it. I'm not joking. Look in the Bible, you will find it. Let me tell you what those five things are. They are provided direction and purpose. They are provided happiness, true riches and a long life. They have an insight into character. They will bring joy to you as parents. And lastly, they will look extremely good. Don't you want that? That they have wisdom and have five free things tagging along? I'd love it. And make sure that I'd I'd speak for wisdom because I just have to say, God, give them wisdom and I know all these will follow. Praise God. The next thing that we need to uh, nurture in our children is for their character, especially in view of others. You know, we need to encourage compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience. How many of you travel in BMTC buses? I know some of us don't, but I'm sure we've done as kids. Okay. Have you noticed young people sitting tight in their seats when there is a pregnant lady standing there or an old woman? Where is the compassion? Or have you seen our little children, you know, when they're playing, somebody has a fall straight on their face and all go giggling, ha, 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 ha compassion is lost or you know when mom is sick and she's got high fever and she's struggling in the kitchen and kids are happy just playing. We need to inculcate that character in our children to be able to be compassionate, to be able to be kind. You know if you look in today's media everything that the children watch starting from Tom and Jerry to all those uh, teen shows, what is it that you see? Violence okay. It also shows a very selfish nature. It says a tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. It's all about revenge. It's not about compassion and kindness. So in a world where there is no compassion, what are we to do? We need to nurture them. How do we need to nurture them? Number one, remind our children to put others first in a me first society. Put others first in a me first society. At home, this is a lesson that I attempt to teach my children every day. When I share a cookie, when I break it into half, or when I share a chocolate, inadvertently one piece becomes bigger than the other. And the lucky one is the one who comes first. So they come, they look, they take it, they measure it up, bite it, and then take it to the second one and says, you can have the smaller piece, bigger piece, you know, when they've actually had the bite of the, bite of the bigger one. So then the fact is that, you know, I know that I have to continue impressing the fact that you've got to be compassionate. You've got to, be, got to think about people. People Maybe they don't get it the first, the second, the hundredth time, but I still need to do it. Another thing that, I, that generally we teach our ch- my children about patience is we play board games. So Nora loves to have a turn after everybody. So after me, she needs a turn. After Jeremy, she needs a turn. After Benny, she needs a turn. So one day, I was so bogged down and frustrated with her. I want to go next, 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 next. So, you know, not expecting an answer in frustration, I said, Nora, who says that you have to play first all the time? And without a bat of an eyelid, she says, Satan. You know, the fact is that I did have to do a discussion at all because she figured that... You know, patience is a virtue that only God can give, but selfishness is something that is given by the devil. You know, but it is important for us to be able to nurture compassion in our children. What is the next thing that we do? We need to make sure that we start our children in the path of serving and blessing others. I know most of us sitting here come from homes that are fairly comfortable. We probably have maids that help to do everything around our home. My plea to you, parents, is get your children to roll up their socks and get to doing something at home. Especially mums, if you have boys and you do everything for them, I really pity the girl who's going to come into your home. Our children need to know that they need to serve. And how? where do they learn that? Not when they are married. They need to learn that right now. You know, making sure that they pick up the dishes or they, they throw the garbage or filling the water bottles, whatever it is, give them something to do so that they know that serving is a, a, a servitude is a character that they need to build up. You know, even when you have maids at home, how many of our children call our maids by the name Akka or Amma or just call them by name? You know, I don't think that's right. Even though they are maids, they need to be respected. And where does that come from? When we teach our children that, when we teach our children, you know, you need to call her by, by an akka or an ummah or, or whatever. That's how we teach our children respect. That's how we teach our children servitude. Now, apart from what we can do, we need to bless them. We need to bless them with the word. We need to bless them and ask God using this verse, 1 John 3.18. Let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So let's just pray that our children are compassionate, are kind. The next thing we deal with is for their character in view of themselves. Self-control, self-discipline. If you have children, if you have more than one child, you probably see the stark differences in their personality. There'll be one who's absolutely pleasing and just obedient to you with a with the snap of a finger. There's another one who's going to drive you up the wall. I'm saying that because I have two like that at home. Okay. Now, what does that mean? That I do not teach the one who is who not disciplined self-control? No. I need to teach the one who does not have self-control the same measure that I did for the first one. Why? Because the, you know what the word of God says in Proverbs 25, 28? He says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. So if my child does not have self-control, he's like a city that has no walls. And what happens? The enemy comes in, destruction comes in, death comes in. So I need to teach my child self-control. How do I do that? Certain ways. I think for us as parents of toddlers, preteens, teens, we need to make sure that there are clear and consistent rules. Not only when it is convenient for us, even when it is inconvenient. I've seen many parents allowing children to watch TV when they have a big deadline at work to do. But at other times they say, no, you cannot watch TV. We need to be consistent about what we expect out of them. Because if you want them to be self-controlled, they understand that principle only when you give it to them. So give them consistent rules. So If there's a rule that you stand by, stand by it in good or at bad. What is another thing that you do? Maintain consistent boundaries. You know, your children need to know that there is a structure. For us who have had babies, you know, you do not just leave your child to cry and then you give them, uh, you know, your child cries and then you give them a feed or your child cries and then you change their nappy. Their child cries and then you put them to sleep. No, you kind of follow a pattern or a structure. You give them something that they need to follow. Because that's how they build the understanding of self-discipline and self-control. So as parents, you and I need to give them structure. Don't leave your children like lost sheep. You know, they can come home whenever they want to. You know, they can watch TV as long as they want to. They can be out with friends as long as they want to. No, I think we as parents need to buck up and figure out that we, we, there is a structure that needs to be followed. And when you do it young... It gets easier when it's done older. Now if you have a teen who's 18 year old and you're going to build a structure now, you're going to be in big trouble. So as young parents, try and build structure right from the beginning. The third thing to do is to identify behavior and prepare them. One of the things that we do at home is we have these meetings in the car when our children have to go to a friend's house or have to go somewhere, we kind of speak to them and say, you know, what is your conduct of behavior? What is it that you should do? And they kind of tell us, okay, this is what we're expected to do. So they kind of know what is it that, that is expected out of them. Let us speak blessing into their lives. And that, let us know that discipline will produce a harvest of righteousness and a peace for those who have been trained by it. The next one we go to is spiritual protection. You know, we are very keen that our children are physically safe. But there is so much in the world that is there outside. In books, in music, in cults, in uh, false teachings, everything is around standing as a vulture there. You know, where children, children kind of pick up all the wrong things. We need to be involved in our children's lives. How do we do that? Find out what they are doing, find out where they're going, what interests they are. If they're going for yoga, find out what they really do there. If they're going for Tai Chi, find out what is it that they practice over there. It is important that we know what we are giving to our children. Secondly, We get them dressed for battle. We get them dressed for battle and clothe them in the armor of God. I don't have to specify that to you. In Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, it says the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Dress them up in that so they, they know who it is that they have to fight. What is the blessing that you will speak? That the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them. Let's look at the second last one, that is for their relationship with you as a parent. Now it is important. I know Pastor has spoken a lot about it last week, but just to make myself uh, to, to emphasize it a bit more, taking from Malachi 4.6, it says, turn the hearts of the children to their fathers, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. What do we turn from? Three things. One. We turn from our selfishness to our giving. You know, we need to give our time. We need to give our, ourselves. We need to give, uh, give up of our interests and make sure that we spend time with them so that, so that they build a relationship with us. What is the second thing we do? Turn from pride to humility. How many of us have said sorry to our children? You know, very often Nora drops milk and that bothers me immensely because I hate this clean up. But then I, I know that I shouldn't have shouted at her for something that was absolutely not her mistake. And I've had to be humble to say sorry to her. I've ha- I know that she needs to know that I'm not perfect. I'm not the perfect superwoman. or My husband is not the superman. We need to be apologetic and say sorry. The last thing we do is turning our preaching to doing. How many of us tell our children to put the, the shoes in the shoe rack? But we don't. That happens very often in my home. And we ask our kids to do it sometimes. But no, we need to get to doing more than we need to preach. The last, another thing that we need to do is building, helping them and nurturing the relationship with their friends. We need to know that our children's strongest influence is their friends. Their values and identity are built because of their friends. What do we nurture? We need to make sure that they choose their friends wisely. They need to choose their friends wisely. So what do you do? You need to talk to your children about the kind of friends they have. It doesn't mean you become a spy or a detective and go behind them to see where they're going and what they're doing. No. But make sure that you help your child talk about it and, and say that you know, you're you committed in, the, in your child building a strong character because the word of God says evil company corrupts bad habits. So you want your child to be in excellent company. What else do you do? Get to know your child's friends. Meet with them. Call them home for dinner. You know, drive them to, the, to college, whatever. Another thing you need to do, parents, is speak to your ch- children's friends' parents. Establish a relationship with them. Bring them to church on Sunday. Get to know who they are. Because unless you know what is their background, you're not going to know what is the meat of their, their own child. So begin to build a relationship with the child's friend. And lastly, speak over their friends. Speak the word of God. Say... God, I just bless Nora's and Jeremy's friends so that they will be marked with integrity, purity, and a Christian faith. Lastly, it is for their life's purpose. You know, our children are also called by God, not just you and me. They're also called by God to do great things. Um, Last year, Jeremy had, uh, uh, you know, had many desires on what he wanted to be. So he had a profession that he wanted to hold right from Monday to Sunday. So Monday he wants to be an astronaut, Tuesday a baker, Wednesday a florist, all the way down and Sunday he wanted to be a pastor. And thank God for the influence of pastor in his life. But the fact is that, you know, it is just to nourish and just to enrich what they have desired, although now it has come down to three. But then we believe that, you know, God has called our children into a greater calling. So let's... Just speak the word of God into their lives and bless them using this because God knows the thoughts uh, and plans that he has for them. Thoughts of peace and not of evil for a future and a hope and that the Lord will perfect things in their their lives. As we close, I just have a word for couples who have no children. I know you're in this journey with a lot of pain and nobody can claim to understand what you are going through. You may be without child today, but definitely not without hope, because our hope comes from the word of God, and the word of God says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. He says, this is your confidence, that if we pray according to his will, he will hear us and give us what we ask for, because our desires are in agreement with his thoughts for us. And lastly... I think this is a very hopeful verse. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. So I'd like you to just hope and believe in the word of God. In conclusion, just an encouragement for us as parents. Remember that parenting is none of our doing. It's not what I or you do. It is only his presence because he is a God that keeps his covenant. We may fail every day We may make mistakes every moment of our lives. But then we know that God is the one who fills up for us. And the sooner we realize that it is not about us, it's not about what I do, but it is about God. The sooner we realize and stop focusing on our weakness, but focusing on God's power and love, we will move from parenting out of fear into parenting out of faith. And we know because when God is in control, when he is the covenant-keeping God, that our children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace. So just the encouragement that I have to give you is, wherever we are, whatever we've done, whatever guilt we may be feeling today, let's just know that we can trust the God of covenant to make sure that he will establish his promises in our children. I hope you were blessed like how I was blessed doing this study. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.